Well, good morning. I am uh, I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm humbled by your pastor's invitation to come and share uh, in the service this morning and tonight, and then and t- then tomorrow. I am finally the age. I was hoping to grow up, Chris. I'm finally the age that I can speak at a senior adult revival. Um, I told somebody earlier that there are two things that won't hurt you, growing old and hard work. Thinking about either one of those will kill you, but um, doing them really won't hurt you. And it has been so good to meet some of you all who, uh, uh, whom I had the privilege of pastoring when I was a pastor at Eastwood. And um, unfortunately, some occasionally make the mistake of saying, do you remember who I am? And, um, you know, I think, okay, was it jail time or was it... Uh, uh, the bank robbery, or did I see your picture on a wanted poster? Uh, no, you were my pastor. That's what it was. And I'm, but I am, I'm just thrilled to see everyone. Glad to be here. Aren't you glad God called Chris Wall to be pastor of this church? Isn't that great? I tell you, just, uh, just being around him, the little bit that I have had the privilege of being around him has been just a, an incredible blessing to me. Uh, last night at uh, dinner, and then hearing Eric play and sing there at the Q place, you know, that was, a, that was pretty great. And then uh, just, just a fellowship with him. And what God is doing in your church is wonderful. I, my hat's off, and I feel so comfortable here. Thank you for helping me to, uh, to feel at home. We'll have a good time, these, uh, these three services. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to take your Bible in hand, open it to the eighth chapter of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture, three verses really beginning with verse 14, 14, 15, and 16. Now, before we do that, I'd, I'd like to just explain a little bit about the, uh, the close of the service because um, generally when someone says we're going to have an invitation, which we will, uh, people get a little skittish and they say, now, where did that start anyway? Did some preacher think that up? You know, is that, is that where the invitation started? But the reality is that the invitation is God's idea. It is rooted in the Scripture. I don't have time to take you to all the passages this morning, but if we wanted to, we could begin in the first few chapters of Genesis, Genesis 7 and 8, where uh, the Lord invites Noah to enter the ark, which Jesus said was a picture of salvation, and continues all the way through the Bible until five verses up from the last verse in the entire Scripture. And there in the last chapter of Revelation, the Spirit and the bride say, come. There's an invitation. Of course, you know, Jesus was big on giving invitations because Jesus wanted you and me to understand that faith is not something you simply act or feel. It's not sitting in church and nodding your head and endorsing what the preacher says. It is acting in obedience to what God says. Uh, You read the roll call of the men and women of faith in uh, uh, the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Of course, they're all famous for what they did, not for how they felt. Abel offered, Enoch walked, Noah prepared an ark, Uh, Abraham went out. Jacob and Isaac blessed. Moses forsook. I could just go down. There's always an active verb. So sometimes we think that I'm a person of faith because I agree with what the preacher said or I agree with what the Bible said. That is not faith. Faith is acting in obedience. And Jesus always ensured that we would get that. I mean, 
he, you know, if he had wanted, being Lord, he could have pronounced anybody in a city healed. But he always had personal involvement. You stretch out your hand. Go show the priest. Um, take up your bed and walk. There was always an attendant activity. So that's what the invitation is. I mean, I, you know, a preacher, when, when Chris is standing up here and preaching, he's like an attorney arguing a case before a jury, right? And he's arguing for a verdict. And uh, that's what the invitation is. It's an opportunity for the jury, you, me, to respond to what God has said to us in the service. And I, I want to say that because um, uh, there are people who have become skittish. In fact, I go to some churches where they never invite people to respond. And I think, how sad. I would want to be a part of a church where the pastor had at least enough conviction that what he was saying was true and life-changing that he would ask people to sign on. And uh, that's, that's what we do at the invitation time. So I want, I want to just say that at the outset. And I'm praying that all of us here this morning will embrace what God says to us in this service. Um, he is speaking by His Spirit through the Word. And uh, so I, with your Bible open and you're looking at the Scripture there, I'm trusting God will speak to your heart as well. Now, before I read this, uh, this passage... Uh, I have to tell you that some years ago when I was pastor in Oklahoma City, um, we, had, we went through a period where we were choosing some men who were going to come service as deacons. And uh, one of the men whom our church selected was a United States Marshal. And I loved this guy. I really got to know him best um, at the Murrah Building bombing, actually talking with him and knowing his heart. But I loved him. I loved his family. Great, big, tall, good-looking guy. And he and his, his wife were just wonderful people. In fact, went to Cambodia when our kids were there in Cambodia and adopted a, a young girl uh, in Cambodia. And I, I just, I just love this family. They worked in the children's, well, actually in the nursery. Every nursery should have a U.S. Marshal, Right? <laughs> I think that's true. I've told folks in the early service, when you see a number up there, that means your child is holding the nursery hostage, and somebody needs to be rescued. But he, we, had, we had the man, a U.S. Marshal in the nursery. Well, I, I was walking down the hallway one day, on a, actually on a Wednesday, and uh, I looked up, and he's walking down the hallway, looking very sober, you know, and somber, I guess should be the word. He was always sober. But... Um, uh, <laughs> He wanted to talk with me, and, and I could tell he wasn't interested in just, you know, some convivial conversation. And I said, John, uh, how can I help you? And he said, Preacher, he said, uh, you need to sit down. And he said, this is pretty serious. And I couldn't imagine what he was going to tell me. And then he began to pour out his heart. And, and he said some things that I have heard so many times that it's worth telling you about this morning. He said, Brother Tom, I've just been selected to serve as a deacon. But he said, I'm going to tell you something. I don't even know for sure if I'm a Christian. I was surprised to say the least, but I've heard this, as I said, so many times. He said, uh, he said this didn't just happen because I was selected to serve as a deacon, and I began wondering, looking at my heart. He said, I've, I've had this discussion with the Lord off and on for years. And he relayed how, you know, as a young boy, he had made a decision and um, prayed the prayer, you know, and yet he said, I have never 
had peace for very long that I'm genuinely saved. He said, I do some things that everybody always does, you know, intellectual gymnastics. You go through the, the, through the drill. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice, opens the door, I'll come into him, okay? I, I did open the door. I asked him to come in. He's got to be there. He said, but that just, didn't, that just didn't solve the problem for a long period of time. And then he said, I pray a lot. In my heart, I thought to myself, I hope he doesn't pray the nothing prayer. You see, there, there are some prayers that don't amount to anything. This is one of them. Lord, if I'm not saved, save me. That's a, that's a nothing prayer. Because it's not born out of the conviction you're lost, if, just in case. And when you're through praying it, it doesn't bring you the conviction that you're born again. Because if it did, you wouldn't pray it over and over again. If I'm not saved, save me. And that's exactly what he said. He said, I pray all the time. He said, but in my business, he said, man, I, and he showed me a scar where it had been shot in the face. He said, I need to know. But he said, I just, I just don't know. How many times have I heard that? Well, I open up the Scripture to Romans chapter 8, and I read with him and discussed these three verses that we're going to look at this morning. And here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to take a test. Can you? I can't make you do this. I wish I could. I wish I could come sit beside you and force you to take this test. You say, well, you shouldn't cast doubt in people. No, no, but you should ask serious questions about your relationship with God. You know, I mean, to be 99% right is not enough. You should ask some serious questions. Why? Because God tells you to ask serious questions. The Bible says, examine yourself. And the word there, we get our English word pierced from that. I mean, go right down to the bone. Examine yourself whether you're in the faith. Prove yourselves. There the word means, uh, we get our English word document from that. Take a test. Show the evidence. Prove yourself whether you are in the faith. So my purpose here is not to cast doubt, but my purpose here is to bring us all to an awareness of where we stand in relationship with salvation, whether if we were to die right now in this service, we would enter heaven forever. That's a big, that's a big issue. And so I'm going to ask you to ask yourself three very simple questions. Now, we, we could, the Bible says so much about this. One entire book of the Bible is written about this. That's the book of 1 John in which there are at least five and I believe even more questions raised. It says, if you're born again, this is the way you know. In fact, it uses those words, this is the way you know. But we're going to look at these three verses in the book of Romans. And you have your Bible in hand. And so let me read them to you, beginning with verse 14. Here's what the Scripture says. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God... These are the sons of God. Who? All who are being led by the Spirit of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, that is, if you're born again, leading to fear again. You don't cringe before God like a, a servant before the whip of a master. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba. That's the informal word, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself, he says in verse 16, testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. What happens if we're children of God? The Holy Spirit takes upon himself to testify that we are children of God. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will do that today in our hearts, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what would, um, what would the three questions be? Let's, let's think about that just for a moment. 
Well, the first question, I believe, is born out of verse 14. And, and here's what the verse says. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons or the children of God. Who? Those who are led by the Spirit of God. Or he could say it this way. See those people who are being led by God's Spirit? Now those are God's children. So here's the question. Am I on an upward path? Can you write that down? Ask it of yourself. Am I on an upward path? Now what do I mean by that? Well, go to the moment that you would call the moment of your conversion. I'm not asking you how you felt or what you said. But go back to that moment that you mark out. You say, well, I've always been saved. No, nobody has always been saved, apart from Jesus. Because the Bible says all of us are sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are born as descendants of Adam with the nature of sin. A cow can move, but that doesn't make her a cow. That just reveals, you know, that's, she moves because she is a cow. Well, we sin. That doesn't make us sinners. We sin because we are sinners in our heart. That is our very nature. And our activities just reveal that, you see. So go back to the point that you would say, this is when old things passed away, all things become new. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. When would you mark that out? Was it a vacation Bible school, a Sunday school class, with your parents, with a friend, at a camp, in a revival service, alone, uh, as you were reading the Scripture? When was that? All right, now here's the question. From that point on, can you say that you consciously are aware that you are becoming more and more like Jesus? Well, no man's perfect. That's not the question. You see, even in this chapter, if I were to read it all to you down in verse 29, it says that he is working to conform us to the image of his dear son. He is making us like Christ. Now, why is this an important question? It's important because there are all kinds of people who, who, if they were to be perfectly honest, would say, my life hasn't changed that way. In fact, if you were to look at their spiritual life, their Bible study is the same as it's always been, maybe worse. Their giving hasn't changed in 15, 20 years. They're sharing their faith in Christ with other people. That, that hasn't changed. Uh, overcoming habits in their life or sins, that, that hasn't changed all that much. As a matter of fact, you, you look at some people, and, and to be perfectly honest, they're worse now than they were when they profess faith in Christ. But the Scripture clearly says here that when you are born again, old things pass away, all things become new, and those who are led by Christ's Spirit, now they're the ones who are Christ's children. Are you on an upward path? I didn't say sinless. A mountain climber sometimes falls, goes down, has to go around a rock. The path goes down. But, but the overall tendency of that life is ever upward. Uh, that, that's what a mountain climber, that's why we say he's a climber of the mountain. He is on the ascent. Are you becoming more and more like Jesus? You say, well, nobody can be perfect. In this. That, that's not the issue. 1 John 3, verses 6 and nine to six through 9 say that when you're born again, God drops a plumb line in your heart, and you can't keep sinning the same old way with the same old feeling because God, whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, the Scripture says. He chastens. He, he, he is determined that you are going to become more and more like His Son. 
And there are all kinds of people who have confused becoming a Christian with being a Christian. They believe you can become a Christian but not be a Christian. So you say, are you a Christian? They'll say, yeah. And they'll, think, they'll say, you know, my name's on the church roll, or I was baptized, or I went down uh, to the front and prayed the prayer. I, I, I was in a vacation Bible school or Sunday school class, or, you know, I was seven or eight. Well, listen, the issue is not when you were saved. The issue is whether you are changing to become more and more like Jesus. That's what the Scripture is saying here. So, so how, do you, how do you fare in that? Are you becoming more and more like Christ? Are you on an upward path? Does, does each year, each era in your life show marked differences that whereas this used to be something that you, you didn't even worry about, but now you avoid it like the plague. This used to be something you wouldn't even be, you, you wouldn't ever participate now. Now you can't get enough of God's word. You, you, you can't get, you want to share your faith. Used to be you never, but now you want to tell people about Christ. Are you on an upward path? Now, be honest. I mean, you can't cheat your way through this one because this is a test before God. Be honest. Because there are a lot of people who claim to be Christians whose lives never exhibit difference. In fact, if they exhibit anything, they get colder and colder and colder. And by the way, what happens is, and this is so sad, is one day one of those guys will drop dead or gals will drop dead and their aged mother or grandmother will come to your pastor and say, I want you to preach my son's funeral. And uh, he will say, I don't, I don't think I ever knew them. Well, they're members of the church. They prayed the prayer back, you know, 30 years ago. Well, has he been coming to church? Nah, something happened. He got his feelings hurt. He's never been in church anymore. He doesn't, he, he's not much of a Christian. And she wants the pastor to say something that's going to get him into heaven. It's not going to happen. pastor doesn't get a vote. She doesn't get a vote. Are you on an upward path? Question number two. Have you made an outward profession? Do you do that on a regular basis, make an outward profession? This was beautiful this morning. Baptism is such a beautiful picture. Well, it ought to be because it's exactly what Christ not only exemplified but commanded us to do. Now, that's not the only outward profession, but that's the first step. Now, if... If, to be perfectly honest, there are a lot of people who would say, well, I came to know Christ. I was baptized when I was a kid, but I came to know Christ later on. Well, you haven't been baptized. You see, I, I, I've got a wedding ring on, but that doesn't make me married. Putting the ring on doesn't make me married. It's a sign. Baptism is a sign. It's a symbol. That's where you start out. And in our Western culture, we get so offended by this. We sit in an auditorium and say, I just don't think I wouldn't do, do Really? I wouldn't follow Christ's command? Well, that says something about whether you're his. I was preaching in China. A couple thousand people. There were wires strung out in the streets and going around to apartment buildings, and people were out in this plaza. Anyway, when, at the end of the service, the pastor stood up. I didn't understand what he said, but about a thousand people just silently, they were gone. I thought I had offended them. So I said that through the interpreter. And through the interpreter, he said this to me. Now, you think about it. Those of us who are sort of skittish about really obeying Christ in baptism, he said, um, oh, he said, we're about to have the Lord's Supper. And he said, you know, you need to be baptized before you have the Lord's Supper. And um, he said, those people, he said, uh, they haven't been. And they, they love us. They like our music and everything. But they're not ready to die yet. I said, die? 
He said, oh, yeah, and basically what he said is it paints a target on your back if you're known as a Christian. And he said this as offhandedly as you would say, take out the garbage. He said, I spent 11 years in prison after I was baptized. Whoa. You spent 11 years in prison after you were baptized? And so here we are saying, well, that's just a, that's an deal, it's just an inconvenience. It is the very first step in outwardly professing Jesus as your Savior. And that's followed by telling people, sharing your faith, not being so afraid you're going to offend somebody that you're willing to let them go to hell. That neighbor that you've lived next to for, you know, 15, 20 years, helped him with his lawn, hedge. What about helping him toward heaven? Have I made, am I making consistently an outward profession. What does it say here? It says we haven't, we're not timid. We haven't, we haven't received the spirit of slavery. We're not slaves cowering before the Lord. But we have received, verse 15, a spirit of adoption, which is great. That's a legal decree saying you now belong to that father and mother right there. That is tough to break. And that's what the Scripture says happens when when you trust Jesus as your Savior, you are declared justified, cleansed, forgiven. There ought to be such an exuberance in your heart that you want everybody to know Christ, everybody to know Christ. He says they're unashamed. Whereby we are unashamed to call out Abba. That's the intimate word, Daddy, Father. Unashamed to, to let the world know that you have an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you made an outward profession? Are you making an outward profession? Now, I can't answer that for you. You'll, you'll have to answer that for yourself. But, but God knows the truth, so you might as well just tell the truth. Am I on an upward path? Have I made an outward profession? Here's the last question. Are you asking yourself this? I, I hope you would. It's scriptural, Right? These are rooted right in the Scripture. All right, here's the third question. Do I have an inward peace? You see, that, that's what my U.S. Marshal friend was wrestling with. I can't seem to get it settled, he was saying. And I know that I'm speaking to some right here. Of all ages, by the way, who cannot seem to get it settled. And you prayed the nothing. If I'm not saved, save me. Well, I, you know, I don't want a lot. I'm not supposed to think about that. I'm never supposed to ask questions about my, my faith, which is, that's not true. Do I have an inward peace? Notice what he says. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. That is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. Now, before you become a Christian, he convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. But when we receive Christ by faith as his Savior, as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, and one of His roles is to say to you and to me, yes, you're born again. In every situation, you are God's child. You're God's child. You say, well, really? Is this a scripture? Yes. 1 John 4, verse 13 just bolsters that. It says this, this is the way. So this is pretty serious. This is the way that we know that we are in Him and He is in us. Okay, what is that way? In that He has given us of His Spirit. The Holy Spirit saying, yes, do you have an inward peace? 
Do you really? Honestly. Now, the issue is not between me and you. It's you and God. Do you have an inward peace that if you were to die today, that you would spend your forever with God in heaven? Not hope so, guess so, want to, try to, but know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. Some of you that we've known for years, in fact, some of you were at her memorial service, know that um, a little over a year ago, my wife of almost 49 years passed away. And uh, it was a triumphant home going. I was lying in bed as we did so many times at night, quoting scripture in the dark, holding her hand. It had been a, a restless day. Her breathing had been labored, but now it's just calm. And um, I'd quoted Psalm 27. That was the last Psalm we'd memorized together. And then a portion from Ephesians 3. And then I was quoting, you know, what Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. My father's house were many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And when I said those words, it was as if the divine bridegroom filled the room with his presence and said to her, it's time. Come away, my love. And she released my hand and ran into the arms of the one who loved her more than I. Well, I remember when I first met her. I, I met her formally, didn't, didn't really know her, but she came walking across the campus on a beautiful fall day, blue jean skirt, madras blouse, penny loafers, bobby socks, pennies in the penny loafers. Her hair was in two little blonde ponytails, and she was wearing this perfume. I think the name of it was called Get Your Man or something like that. I, I, you know, the, actually the name of it really was Ambush. <laughs> That's, that's, you can still get it. Of course, you can get your old relatives on eBay, you know. So you'd go to the right places, you can still get this. Um, I, I could, ah, love at first sight. I know all the counseling, all that. I proposed to her six weeks later. I'm not recommending that. I'm just saying I did, and we were married nine months later, and it was a glorious gospel adventure. Four kids, 25 grandkids, you know, three great-grandkids so far. I mean, just a, a gospel adventure. And it's by faith that I know that the Lord has done the right thing, that she's in, in his arms. But, you know, uh, when we first started courting, she would say things like, you know, sometimes I wonder if I'm a Christian. I said, you can wonder if you're a Christian. I don't, I'm, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I, wanted, I don't want to date somebody that's wondering if they're Christians. But I convinced her because she was so pretty she had to be a Christian. I didn't say it like that, but I knew nobody could be. She was sweeter in the flesh than I am in the spirit. So, I mean, how, how, how could she be lost? And I, she walked down the aisle of the largest church in Arkansas. Doesn't remember much what, what she said. Uh, her mother, by the way, said, oh, yes, you were saved. You cried as if, and she didn't remember that, but her mother did. So rather than embarrass her mother, she assumed she was saved. because her, But mothers don't get to vote. They get to pray and influence, but they don't get to vote. And so she would go through these, and I would convince her, and she would convince herself, and then nothing prayer, if I'm not saved, save me. Five years as a pastor's wife. So you're, you're thinking to yourself, it would be embarrassing, it would confuse people if I got saved, really. Are you, you willing to go to hell? So that, and it probably wouldn't confuse them, it would, might cause them to rejoice. Five years. She came, I was shaving one Sunday afternoon, getting ready to go to church that night. She came in, she said, Tom, I know I'm not saved. 
And we went into the bed. She repented of sin, believed in Jesus. I thought she was the sweetest thing on earth. I was not ready for the quantum change that took place in her life. You know, old things pass away. All things, she, a voracious appetite for the Word led people to Christ. I mean, the two weeks before she passed away, people literally came to our house, our door, again and again, to thank Jeannie for leading them to Christ. By the way, some ladies also came, and I didn't know this till then, came and thanked her for buying them a mother of the bride dress for the wedding. I, didn't, I wondered where the money went, but I didn't know what she was doing with it. But she just felt sorry for these ladies, and she'd take them shopping and buy. She said, I know you've spent a lot on this wedding and everything, so I'm going to buy you this dress. I don't know how many of them there were showed up. Thank you. I, I, that blessed me, you know, but it was news to me. Um, but a change. Love the Word of God. 37 years taught inductive Bible study to ladies. She would say to you many times when I've preached about this. In fact, she, she wanted me to say, preach this message at her memorial service. I said, we'll probably do something different. But she, many times, she would stand and just share her testimony, just quietly, humbly, sweetly, how she had to come to grips with, am I more concerned about what people say than I am about the truth? Where will I spend my eternity? Am I on an upward path? Have I made an outward profession that is consistent with Scripture? Do I have an inward peace? Do you? And if you were to die, you'd spend your forever with God in heaven. I'm going to ask you to bow your head.